1: Hey, everyone. I just wanted to give a quick note to let you know that we caught up with Emmy and Golden Globe winner Darren Chris back in May. Uh, so this conversation took place before the events and protests that have happened over the last few weeks. Uh, Darren is an incredibly vocal ally, and please check out his Twitter handle, at Darren Chris for more of his thoughts. Thanks for listening. Here's Movies That Changed My Life with Darren Chris.
2: Hi, I'm Darren Chris, and these are three of the movies that changed my life. There's too many, but I had to narrow them down to three, and these are them.
1: Hey everyone, I'm Ian De DeBorja, and welcome to IMDB's Movies That Changed My Life, a podcast where your favorite stars break down the films that made them who they are today. This week's guest is actor, musician, and fellow San Francisco Bay Area native Darren Chris. You may know Darren from his breakout role in Glee, or his recent award-winning performance as Andrew Kananen in The Assassination of Gianni Versace, American Crime Story. But you can currently catch him in Netflix's Hollywood or his brand new show Royalties available now on Quibi. Darren and I talk about his start as a YouTube cover star, a very Harry Potter musical that he staged with his production group Star Kid, and our mutual love for movies, music, and submarine sandwiches. Once again, if you're enjoying the show, please be sure to give us a star rating or leave us a review, or give us a shout on social media using hashtag Movies That Changed My Life. Thanks again for listening, and here's Movies That Changed My Life with Darren Chris. So Darren, before you get going into all the stuff we have to talk about today, I too am Filipino, and I too am from the Bay Area. Oh, nice.
2: There's a lot of us there. there there's a lot. As, as I go out into the world and I, and I talk, and it's an interesting thing that's come up more and more because a lot of the rules that I've been a part of have a sort of Filipino uh, uh, piece to them. Uh, I, I grew up in such a predominantly Filipino community that it wasn't until I left that I was like, Oh, I get like, in my mind, we were always everywhere and we still are. (laughs) Uh, but I didn't, I just didn't realize just how much it was, uh, it was in the Bay Area. I mean, that's just like a huge part of the Bay Area culture.
1: Do you have a favorite, I always ask people who are from the Bay Area, do you have a favorite burrito spot or taco spot? What's crazy is I could like blindfolded... (laughs) Walk or drive
2: to my favorite ones, but I yeah. can't even tell you the names of them anymore. Sure, sure, sure. Um, yeah, in the mission, there were places that like I had my favorites, but you know they probably are. I don't know if they're still there, and <laughs> I don't know what they were called to begin with. Which kind of added to the sort of mystery. It's like yeah. everybody has their favorite pizza joint, their favorite sushi joint, their favorite yeah. like Mexican joint, and uh it's it's sometimes cool. You don't even know the name; you just know where it is. And that's that's where you go, like there's a bunch of you know submarine sandwich places oh, like wh- submarine, yeah, like me and my buddy's called subs yeah. subs it's it's called the submarine Center It's in West yeah, Portal. Yeah, it's yeah. like the one in West Portal yeah, it's in West Portal, it's like where I grew up, and that's like an iconic place that like is I, I I honestly didn't know that it was called the Submarine Center, yeah, until I went back on tour with uh I was like I was with the glee kids and I was trying to take them around my hood
1: mm-hmm.
2: and so we got to get sandwiches at this place. And uh, I, they're like, what's it called? And I was like, I, uh, it's subs, man. It's it's where we go get subs. I don't know.
1: And then I had to like look up the address. I was like, oh, it's called the Submarine Center? I didn't even yeah. didn't even know that. Submarines, that's funny. Uh, I didn't know you are from Westport specifically. My cousins were in Westport also. So we would always yeah. go to get submarines. That guy was super intense. Like if you'd take super order. Super intense. <laughs> Yeah.
2: yeah, we used to joke that one day he was going to cut his finger off because he, <laughs> he had such like ninja-like precision where the knife would just barely go under his hand. Yeah. Dude's a legend.
1: Yeah, a guy, guy's a master. Um, So yeah. I'm glad I got that out of the way. Oh, man, I'm so glad. I usually never bring
2: that stuff up unless someone really knows that part of the city. Uh, as you know, growing up in the Bay Area is a very specific— It's, like,
1: it's a big place, yeah thing yeah um you just said you play some you know more filipino roles in your in your most recent role including hollywood uh where you play raymond ainsley you're a half filipino director much like yourself in real life so uh for those who don't know hollywood is out now on netflix uh it is great it is a really awesome like homage and tribute to old hollywood um but what's what's your take on it darren tell us about your character and what the show is all about
2: my quick byline my very hollywood uh Tagline would be: We gave Hollywood the Hollywood treatment. You know that that time is is fraught with a lot of prejudice and mm-hmm. uh, and and a lot of obstacles for a lot of people. And uh, I'm just going to give away the whole thing because it's a revisionalist look at that period of time. It's sort of a it, it gives it gives them the happy, the, the happy Hollywood ending it didn't actually get. The show is uh, you know it it follows. Um, the lives of a lot of, you know, young, uh, folks in Hollywood trying to, trying to make it, um, you know, fighting their own personal demons and obstacles that uh, may be presented by the time period itself. And, uh, I think it takes a lot of, you know, uh, archetypes that would have otherwise struggled a great deal. Um, and, uh, kind of gives them, gives it a look at, I'm, man, I'm, I'm so at home right now like I'm in my pajamas like I'm loving this right now and there's like there's a bowl of cereal on the floor and I promise you when you're listening to me in other situations I am so much more articulate about this show I'm just let's just be honest I've had I've had like promotion exhaustion between this royalties and other things I man if you're listening to me right now and you haven't seen the show I just went off the fucking handle I have no idea what the hell I said Listen, it's 1940s Hollywood. Uh, it's it's really it's really fun to watch. A lot of great people are in it, and man, <laughs> I'm gonna take a bite of my cereal. Do it. Right.
1: Have have a bite of your cereal while I put the show over. Uh, it's great. It's super fun to watch. Um, you know, if if you're a fan of Ryan Murphy, obviously you'll enjoy it. There, there was definitely
2: a part when we were shooting where I was like, "This is kind of like Glee in the 1940s," because Glee, and this is a theme that's predominant in a lot of his work, which is. You know, uh, wish fulfillment and 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 the and dreams coming true for for the uh, for, for particularly young people, but for really anybody in their life. Because you know, the show has this has the has the young bucks and like the I don't want to say the old guard, but I'll say the upperclassmen. You know, sure. Um, and uh, and the two of them kind of coming together to to break through whatever you know, uh, adversity is, is put before them.
1: Um, so yeah, that's what the show is. I'm going to keep eating my cereal, man. Fantastic. Uh, there it is. That was, that was an awesome pitch. We'll cut out that all together. It'll be like one perfectly executed, uh, Q and a session. Um,
2: ma'am. this interview is pretty perfect as it is.
1: <laughs> let's, uh, let's, let's jump to your new project, uh, called Royalties, which is coming out on Quibi on June 1st. Um, awesome awesome concept it stars you and Kather donahue where you two are songwriters uh and every episode um you guys basically come into like a situation where you need to write a song you write a song make an awesome music video uh that's great. Uh, to me, uh, also, lots of episodes. It's all directed by Amy Heckerling, correct? The great Amy Heckerling? Yeah,
2: yeah, the, the great Amy, Amy Heckerling. I'm yeah. glad you used the, the, the correct uh, uh, superlative there.
1: Yeah. Uh, she also directed Fast Times at Bridgewood High, European Vacation, Clueless, et cetera. Um, so when I was watching this, the immediate thought I had was this is the bones of a Star Kid production. This feels like Harry Potter musical. This feels like all the old stuff that you got. Uh, you know you and your crew of, of collaborators really took off for on YouTube is was was that the idea behind it dude you know that shit? of course come on we're IMDB okay well that's <laughs> that's great this makes my life a lot
2: easier um yeah I mean I have so gosh this is between the bay Area and this we're gonna we're gonna get along famously and, and these
1: movies come on we, we, no, we, we, we to and twos,
2: we're gonna get yeah. Into that yeah <laughs> and there's a whole San Francisco bent to that too so yeah royalties is a show that I've been sitting on for for years and years and years, and I was joking earlier on an interview that you know I'm very careful with talking about projects that I'm working on because you never want to say something and then run the risk of it not happening, and then you're that guy that just like always sure. always talking about the thing. But this was that show for me, and and of the many reasons I'm excited that it's coming out, I'm just relieved that I I finally did it because there's so many friends I have in the music industry and film and television world where this was that show that I was trying to put together for like at, it feels like seven or eight years now it's been so long because it's just been knocking around in the back of my head um i've been obsessed with uh, songwriters my whole life i've i consumed liner notes as a kid i read album notes and i wanted to know who produced what and who wrote what um and at a very early age and i think it comes from loving musical theater where the composers are a mm-hmm. like, predominant part of, like, the sell of a show. It's
1: the first line Um, over the actors. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
2: Right. You're absolutely right. So I liked this notion that, or I was fascinated by this notion that in pop music, there are songs by the Backstreet Boys. There are Mm -hmm. songs by all kinds of great artists Mm. that were written by these amazing people. And, you know, we, most people couldn't recognize them in a grocery store or, like, like, know it. Like Max Martin. Max Martin is the, is the biggest example. I always right. thought it was cool that Max Martin who's responsible for, like and still continues to be, for every major hit of the past almost 20 years. Max Martin is a guy that can walk into a 7-Eleven and can look at the magazine rack and see every person that is on the cover of every magazine and know that he is single-handedly responsible for <laughs> a song that launched them to the point where they get to be on those magazines. He can walk around. No one's going to bug him and uh you know buy some twinkies leave but if he wanted to he probably could buy that (laughs) 7-eleven and i and i thought that was such a cool existence now he's a really unique uh position because he's one of the one of the most successful songwriters of I, i would dare to say of all time and continues to be um so uh i kind of like thinking of the underlings of people like max or people who want to be like Max, because, you know, again, they're writing the hits, but they can't get into the after party. The whole thing, I think, is is a love note, not necessarily to songwriting, even though that's what its uh, vehicle is, and more of a love note to the creative process in general, and uh, how, while very, you know, fulfilling, it's, it's really frustrating and sometimes really stupid, and that kind of crossroads between art and commerce, and, and what it is to have to commercially succeed at something that does take Heart and an imagination, and uh, they don't always line up. So, you know how how do you tow that line?
1: Love it. I do want to call it before we move on here. Um, shout out for getting Rufus Wainwright uh, on episode oh, yeah. one. Like that's that's a, that's like a like when I saw that you guys got Rufus Wainwright for the first episode, that told me a lot about who you were in the past because cigarettes and chocolate milk, very iconic uh, album. Uh, and, and song in my growing up as listening to music. So I thought it was very cool that you got him. Because- Dude, Ruf- Rufus Wainwright is
2: one of my, I've spent a lifetime chasing my heroes and mm-hmm. um, I just continue to do that. I somehow get them to do stuff with me and it doesn't ever get, it's weird. I, like I, <laughs> I, I, I'm so uh, outrageously thrilled to, to call someone like Rufus a, a friend now but I wear my heart in my sleeve. I'll be around him, and I'll just be like, "Dude, I you like changed my life."
1: Well, congrats! I love hearing when people's passion projects come to life. Uh, again, royalties comes out on Quibi uh, on June first. Right, let's get into the movies that changed Darren Chris's life. Uh, where do you want to start here? You have three amazing picks. Uh, what's the first one you want to go with? I think I'll go.
2: Aladdin, Rushmore, and Indiana Jones, simply because there's a there's a narrative I've weaved together.
1: Perfect. So we'll kick it off with uh, Aladdin, 1992, Disney's animated classic, 8.0 out of 10 on IMDb, with 357,000 ratings, directed and written by Ron Clements on John Musker, music by uh, the iconic Alan Menken. Howard Ashman, uh, and, and later on, Sir Tim Rice, starring Scott Weinger, Robin Williams, Lena Larkin, John the Freeman, but almost more importantly, uh, the singing is done by Brad Kane and Leas Longa. Uh,
2: dude, I love that you just listened that off. I mean, I know you work for uh, for IMDb. I, can I also give a shout out that you said Sir Tim Rice and that you said later Tim Rice because that was the thing yes. that he, he came on after the fact. We We've we got uh, to spot check all these, you know? Dude, I love this. <laughs> can I tell you, this is so cool because I spent so much time on IMDb as a kid. Like uh-huh. it was my go-to everything, everything that I know because before we had social media, like I would go on message boards and I would like, troll actors and movies and projects <laughs> on IMDb before trolling was an internet verb. That was, <laughs> it was my life. That's how I understood, that's how I got to know everything about, everything in the movies. So this is rad, um, well, this yeah. this is
1: rad, I'm glad you're enjoying this then
2: i really good. am man yeah. i'm like i've just been such a fanboy my whole life like i it's this is a, a prevailing theme in our conversation like i just i i, I love so much and then i do whatever <laughs> i can to get to interact with it so here i am interacting with imdb talking about how things that you know i've i followed got me to where where i am um so aladdin yeah a yeah, lot to say scene. about aladdin the disney renaissance i think if you were me or ian's age we were lucky enough to grow up in what is now known as the disney renaissance which was this period between the late 80s and the late 90s that kind of redefined disney's place in the in film history really uh the animated film and the animated musical film suddenly becoming this really like prestige powerhouse uh that that they didn't really have before or at least they hadn't had it for like 50 years so um i didn't know that at the time we were just seeing movies you know that wasn't like part of the prerequisite of seeing the movies they were just the the movies you took to see you you took your kids to see and uh i remember very distinctly being in the audience for aladdin and I articulate this now as an adult, and I've said it so many times that I've now come to believe it truly, so maybe my memory is a little, is <laughs> is, flex, is flexible. But I just remember being so taken with the film, uh, as many kids were at the time, and, and many adults as well, of course, and obviously loving the genie. And I remember the sense of like looking around, because I think I went to the theater to see it several times. I loved this notion that, complete strangers could be in a room that didn't know each other. And I would look around at people laughing and smiling and watching this genie and thinking, wow, like this, this genie is giving all these people that don't know each other happiness in this shared experience. And obviously this wasn't a conscious thought, but there was a sense of communion and catharsis that was really intoxicating to me. And so I joke that I said I want to be a genie, but obviously you can't be a genie. Um, The reason why it's important to mention the Bay area is that Robin Williams was a Bay area local hero because he was an extraordinarily successful actor that chose to reside in San Francisco. So this was kind of like a big deal. If you're from the Bay of like, Oh, cool. Like we got, we got Robin Williams and, uh, I think because of this, there suddenly became this accessibility to this job of this of this life of, oh, he's, he's an actor. He lives in my hometown. Wow, maybe I could also do that. What do I got to do to be that? And I remember telling my parents at a very early age, I want to be an actor. Um, and uh, a shout out to another great San Francisco icon, the man by the name of Peter Coyote, who was a big part of the... Um, uh, experimental and political theater of the 1960s um, he was uh, a a friend of my parents via via the school that I went to and uh they told him because they didn 't know like our like, son wants to be an actor this is not growing <laughs> up in l a or New York where you know this is a, this is quite common right. um so, and you know, and a lot of parents are actors and stuff like they were the, he was the closest thing that they had to it. And he said, Oh, well, he should really think about enrolling maybe into like a class at at the Young Conservatory at, at ACT in San Francisco, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is a very uh, very prestigious um, master MFA program for, for graduate student actors. Obviously I was a little one. So they have like a young after school program thing that became a huge part of my life until I was 18. So I ro- I I went there from like nine, 10 years old until
1: until I left. I must have seen you in an ACT play that I remember going to ACT like all the time in the city. It's funny.
2: Yeah. I, I was, I was in a Christmas Carol when I was like 10 or 11. Okay, I'm
1: sure sh- I'm sure uh, I went to that show. Yeah. Like, I, I think even 12. like yeah. in, I mean ele- the elementary school, middle school, that was always like a field trip, you know, yeah. they'd tackle the kids on the bus and go to ACT in the city. That's funny. Yeah.
2: Yep. That all the kids came. And I yeah. remember I was like, I felt so cool that I got to be in some of those shows. So that was a, such a huge part of my life. Just knowing Robin Williams did this thing and, uh, like lots of kids, he was just my guy, and I loved, I loved him as a comedic actor. I loved, I didn't mention this, but you know, um, Goodwill Hunting was a huge one for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just think the accessibility that he presented in that movie through this medium that was, you know, easy for a kid to ingest really kind of changed my life. And more importantly, on the music writing side, Howard Ashman is one of my all time. Heroes. Anytime people ask about like people you could have dinner with from any time, I always say Howard Ashman. He's always been such a guiding light to me for a lot of the decisions I've made creatively. I always like what would Howard do? And um obviously I never got a chance to meet him, but his influence is so predominant in a lot of my work, not only as a musician, but as an actor, just the way you kind of like holistically looked at projects and mm-hmm. and, and big picture things. Um, so the fact that he and Rob Williams were in this, Aladdin is really a big one because it set me on a career as an actor, but as a songwriter. And I think, you know, Aladdin really kind of, uh, summarizes a lot of the, the great things about the Disney Renaissance between little mermaid and Beauty and the Beast of, you know, what it is to tell a great narrative with music. So all those pieces together has definitely, I think it shows had a profound effect on the way that I would try and like carry out my career for the rest of my life. And shout yeah. out to the great Alan Macon as well, who I would end up meeting in college and get to do stuff with him. So it's crazy.
1: There is uh, another deep cut in the Darren Chris canon. Uh, I first heard about you from your old YouTube Disney cover songs. So for folks who aren't familiar, and they just you know they know Darren from Glee or from uh, Versace or, or Hollywood and soon to be royalties. If you just type in Darren Chris Disney cover on YouTube, you are uh, rewarded with a plethora of uh, awesome acoustic covers. And I remember. Um, in, I think what, we must have been in college when you started doing that, right? Or maybe high school? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, YouTube was like brand new. It wasn't really a, a platform at the time. It was just kind of a, a
2: random assortment of videos floating around.
1: Yeah, and now like everyone does acoustic covers of, you know, various Disney songs or whatever, but you were like, you are on the forefront of that. And I did this when I moved to LA 10 years ago. I would play at Mangiano's
2: Italian restaurant at The Grove on Thursdays and mm-hmm. Sundays, and I would just play my, you know, acoustic or piano versions of like pop songs. And, and Dis- Disney songs was always the big tip maker. I was mentioning Alan Manken earlier. Uh, when I was in college, I would play at my friend's cafe, Sava's Cafe, for brunch. And uh, when I was a senior, Alan Minkin's daughter, Nora, was a freshman. And this cafe was a pretty popular musical theater hang. And so uh, there was... And Alan brings up this story all the time, which is which is so wild. Again, for the millionth <laughs> time, just been chasing my heroes. I was playing part of your world, uh, which is my own little version. I changed the chords and everything. And it is very Alan- clever
1: because you go from the C and then you keep the hand formation, go up to what the D no, position. You right? know all the. This- Man, this is great. I mean, I've
2: never had a conversation <laughs> with anybody that knew my my
1: my deep weirdness as well. This no, is fantastic. I, I, well, because that sticks with me because I I play a lot of music too, and I remember when I first saw that video when you you keep because you know it goes goes C to D typically, right? But then you just kept the same formation and just moved it up a whole step. I was like, that's awesome! Like it makes oh, it sound thanks, so much. Man. Yeah, it, I love that. Thank yeah. you. It's just a different voicing of of yeah. a D chord. Um, but uh,
2: anyway, so I'm messing around with the chords, and Alan Menken walks in, and like again, this this is all tied together. I'm that guy that recognizes songwriters, right? Sure. So he walks in and I immediately know who he is. And I'm like, oh my God. And I'm playing it and I'm playing it. And I, and, and I say, sorry, Mr. Macon, I, I changed the chords a little bit. It's fine. And on the way out, he gave me a $100 bill tip <laughs> in my jar. And I didn't know this until I went home and I was like, holy shit, like who else would have left that in there? And uh, this was a story that I always held on to. And so years later, I was doing The Little Mermaid at the Hollywood fucking Bowl. With Alan, I'm like, what is life? And so I did that. And um, when I walked off stage, I see this; it's burning the back of my retinas. I see Alan on the on the wings of the Hollywood Bowl, like waving a hundred dollar bill <laughs> tip.
1: And I was That's like, awesome. "This dude, that that was so cool." So then, my last question on Aladdin before we move on: um, what's what's your favorite song on on the film? Um.
2: That's hard because uh, oh, that's really hard. I mean, I would say I mean never had a friend because that's the kind of thing that I would like sing. You know, I'd like play the. I had the tape, <laughs> uh, the cassette tape of yeah. Aladdin, and I would just sing over it all the time. And yeah, I, I, I'll will say never had a friend. It's just nice. it's it's classic. I also <laughs> feel like when you when you mention how good that song is, you don't have to explain yourself. You're yeah. like, yeah, it's.
1: I mean, any pick it. any really renaissance song you can make an argument for is the best of all the renaissance songs, but also anyone within a movie is like, no, that's the best one. You can have legitimate like debate about each one. So,
2: yeah, I will say, I'll give a shout out to Sir Tim Rice. Cause I continue to discover things that I haven't discovered. There's a really great interior rhyme that flies by so fast that you, when I found it, I was like, Oh f- dude, like this dude's a mother. <laughs> um, and Ben, 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 and I, Ben, uh Pasek and Paul, of, uh, from, uh, you know, uh, gosh, dear Evan Hansen and Greatest Showman and, and, uh, and La La Land. Uh, Benj and I are very close from college in Michigan, and we have this text chain where we'll like send the broiest, or maybe I, I do, I send the broiest <laughs> text to him. i like, dude, did you see this interior rhyme in all new world? I haven't noticed it until now. Uh, but there's, it's, and I'm sure the songwriters are listening to this going, like, yeah, you're an idiot. You just, you just noticed that in the past year. Like, welcome to the party, but I can show you the world shining, shimmering, splendid. And there's an interior rhyme that goes right by. Tell me, princess, now when did?
1: Oh, you, I've never noticed la-
2: that. You last let your heart decide. Now it's it's something that you don't think about because it's such a famous line.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But just the extra credit that 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 shoots for is so dope that uh, I and that's and that's I th- I'm pretty sure that's a Sir Tim Rice line. Uh, I, but uh, anyway, I should just give a shout out to that because I continue. To watch Aladdin, which is a movie I have memorized from beginning to end. If we had roughly shy of two hours right now, I could literally (laughs) do the entire thing. Um, But I'm not going to do that. Anyway, let's move on to the next movie. That'll
1: be bonus content.
0: CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
1: Your second pick, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, 1989, 8.2 out of 10, with 668,000 ratings on IMDb, directed by Steven Spielberg, screenplay by Jeffrey Bohm, starring... Harrison Ford, Sean Connery, Donald Elliot, uh Donald Elliot, Allison Dental, Duty. Yeah. So uh set the scene here. What about Last so, Crusade?
2: there's a lot of like all these movies, there's many facets to them. You know, it's not that just they're good. I think when anybody picks their favorite movie or song, it's 100% context, right? It's not like the the subjective value of it. I recently yes. rewatched uh, Last Crusade as I do a lot. And that movie, I think above all the Indiana Jones films in the franchise has the most palpable uh, um, fandom. I don't know why. I think there's just something, there's a, a lot of things that make it really special. And I was reading reviews of the, at the time that were kind of knocking it for just being a, a carbon copy somewhat hmm. of the first one. And I was reading all these stuff, these things going like, Oh man, they had no idea. This one was really going to just age just better and better and better yeah. over time. Um, so it's always funny when you think of like, you know, how, how one can perceive something at the time and and where it ends up uh, and how well it ages is sort of unpredictable. But, um, obviously Harrison Ford, big, big, big deal in my household. Um, what can I say? The Chris family loves and has always loved and will always love Harrison Ford. Um, and maybe you know, there was a part of me that, like, you know, we used to joke that, like, he kind of looked like my dad uh, <laughs> uh, if, if he put on the outfit, I guess. Um, but listen, Harrison Ford checks all the boxes for a lot of people. You know, he's, he's sexy, he's cool, he's fun, he's adventurous, he's rugged. Like, ladies want to be with him, guys just want to hang out with him. He's just, his classic hero characters. obviously Han Solo, all the way through, like, the Clear and Present Danger, uh, the Tom mm-hmm. Clancy books. He just is a bad motherfucker. And, Mm -hmm. um, that's just his deal. So, uh, yeah, people, all the reasons for why I love people, people love Indiana Jones. That's, that's like a given. Another really important thing to mention is my general like wanderlust as a kid and loving the adventure movie and the, and seeing beautiful places, seeing Venice and, and parts of the middle East and, and seeing uh, a period movie, you know, 1930s, 1940s movie. And, at the time that Spielberg was making these, he was hearkening back to the great adventure movies of the earlier half of the century. Um, And those are the films that are the now classic movies, like truly taking you away to a different place and adventure and love and romance and all the things that just sweep me off my feet. I mean, the movie literally ends with them riding off into the sunset. And I have such... I cry thinking about it, I cry every time I watch the movie because I just remember as a kid watching the VHS tape over and over, and as they rode off into the sunset, I just remember thinking, no, like this can't end. This has to go on forever. And I would wait until they, you could no longer see them so blurry in the distance that they, they kind of literally ride into the horizon. And I remember just loving the movie so much, but never wanting it to end. And that feeling of being swept away was what wanted, what made me want to be in the movies. You know, it's that it, at its purest, most palpable form, the great feeling that that the movies can give you. And there's a very important element that I that I that I haven't uh, that I've left out, which is John Williams. Uh, again we could talk about star Wars and we can talk about all the great Steven Spielberg or George Lucas movies that really feel like these cinematic things. You know, I could mention star Wars and all those other things or ET, but I just, I decided to put it in Indiana Jones because it checked at all, all of the boxes Mm -hmm. for me. Um, You know, hearing that score, which really just talk about being swept off your feet. It just gives you that extra, um, you know, uh, shot to the, to the, the jugular of, of this other world. And so, that music and that vibe and that, and those performances really just, and continue to always make me really feel like I'm part of a different world and that there's something special out there and that we can really be transported. And, th- and that is just the most prime example of that to me. And the final ingredient for that. Well, there's two more ingredients to that movie. One is another big franchise in my household is James Bond. I've oh. always, we, we love James Bond, which is funny as I get older and I go, God, we were watching these movies with my with as a family when I was a kid. These are yeah. wildly, <laughs> wildly inappropriate. I just I just re- rewatched Goldfinger, and you go, this was definitely made in the '60s. This would not fly now. Like no, as charming no as he is, you're yeah. like James Bond is is not a good dude. Yeah, <laughs> he's just like the worst, like unwoke misogynistic dude. But uh, yeah. A different time.
1: Uh, yeah, my my grandpa and I that we used to bond over James Bond. He had yeah, all James he had bond all the bonded. VHS tapes. So like you know whenever he's like yeah you want to watch a James Bond movie we like he put it on and then again like watching back I'm like oh my god <laughs> so ridiculously yeah,
2: watched It's case. ridiculous now, but you know it really I think yeah if you grew up with it I really bonded with my family on that mm-hmm. uh, and, and I don't think when they put those movies out they had any idea in the 60s that families in the 90s would would <laughs> bond to James Bond, but. Um, We've always loved Sean Connery, obviously. So having them both in there and their performances, Sean Connery, so good, is so good in that movie because he's so delightful and funny and profound and like, like I think a lot of people's favorite movies. I quote that movie all the time in my shorthand. Same with Aladdin. Like I just Mm. say things not to quote the movie, but because it's part of my vernacular. Like when I'm telling somebody to just like, "Yo, chill out," like let it go. Like, I'll just be like Indiana, (laughs) which is at the end of the movie, like there are things that, that are just so ingrained in my just cultural habits and speech patterns. So that's him. And the final one, which is kind of a small thing, but maybe you relate to this growing up Filipino, but you know, I grew up in a really Catholic household. Mm -hmm. So, um, Catholic like lore and like grail lore. Yeah. You know, my mom was was really scared of like blasphemy and stuff like that. <laughs> so this was a really nice kind of gateway into something <laughs> different because, Oh, it's about like Bible
1: stuff, right? The Holy so, grail. Right. <laughs> so it's
2: the Holy grail. So this is like cool. Right. Um, so that, but it also made it cool because I knew that my mom liked it for that reason. So it was, it was fun as a kid, cause there's adventure and danger and like, and and beautiful places. I knew that excited my dad, but I knew it excited my mom because she loved Harrison Ford and like Bible stuff. So I was like, "This has all the things that make it safe for me to really enjoy." And then when you realize that everybody else enjoys it, I go, "Okay, well I'm not crazy." Um, and I just as a footnote to Indiana Jones because of the Grail lore thing. That's re- and my dad was a, was a huge Anglophile and like British comedy nerd. And me being such a weirdo, like comedy uh, Anglophile in general that I got from my dad. I loved Monty Python. And I don't know Mm -hmm. if I would have found Monty Python Holy Grail had I not loved Indiana Jones, The Last Crusade, which is about the Holy Grail. Because I think in the video store, when I used to make the pilgrimage like every week, twice a week, and I'd look for like stuff, I would see that and be like, oh, here's like a Grail thing. Can I watch this? (laughs) And I'd watch it and be like, this is the funniest thing I've ever seen. And for like, I want to say maybe eight years, from like, I don't know, maybe nine to however old I was. Like I would watch that every day, every birthday that I had with my friends. That was like my birthday tradition was to watch Monty Python the Holy Grail. So the Holy Grail, Last Crusade, Indiana Jones, it all kind of comes into like a big
1: piece of my life. There you go. I love that. So well wrapped up. Uh, It's funny, like the Grail stuff. I remember like when I was a kid, I loved Indiana Jones. I think I dressed so dressed up as him like twice in a row for halloween and yeah. i remember i used to get like pieces of paper remember where he would copy like the stone marking the in the library yeah.
2: yeah yeah he would yeah you would, would do this and get like the markings
1: yeah i used to do that with like anything i could find the house if there was anything i could like st- i could like rub off with paper on with a pencil i would do that yeah because the, the, the tracing tracing paper yeah and i would always get a side of a crayon do this <laughs> and go
2: alexandria
1: <laughs> yes yeah perfect i love that we're cut from the same cloth here yeah, um totally. uh, last crusade fantastic pick uh along with holy grail i mean you can't go wrong with either of those really i, know, I, was, I was cheating i was saying movies that would allow me to kind yeah, of mention, yeah. other you, you mention others hey this, this is your show that you can do whatever you want <laughs> thank you I hope you're enjoying this week's episode of Movies That Changed My Life. Uh, I want to give a quick shout out to Publius R, SarahF95, and Steph Ray 4 for giving us awesome reviews on Apple Podcasts. Uh, Please leave us a review if you want, and I'll make sure to give you a shout-out on the next episode. If this is your first time listening, welcome! And uh, please don't forget to hit the subscribe button to make sure that you get all of our new episodes as soon as they are available. Because trust me, you won't want to miss some of the incredible guests we have coming up to nerd out about their favorite movies, like Judy Greer, Tatiana Maslany, and Chelsea Handler, just to name a few. Last, head over to imdb.com to go ahead and add Darren's picks to your IMDb watch list. It'll save you time the next time you're struggling to find out what you want to watch next. Thanks again for listening. Be sure to check out imdb.com slash podcasts for more content. Now let's get back to Movies That Changed My Life with Darren Chris. So let's go to the last pick here. Uh, This is 1999's Rushmore, 7.7 out of 10, 163,000 ratings on IMDb. Directed by Wes Anderson, written by Wes Anderson and Owen Wilson, starring uh, his now usual suspects Jason Schwartzman, uh, Bill Murray, uh, and then Olivia Williams, Seymour Castle, Brian Cox. Um, set the scene. What, what, what was uh, when's the first time you saw Rushmore? So the last two I mentioned
2: were huge blockbuster pop culture moments, and uh, and everybody is familiar with them. People might not be as immediately familiar with Rushmore. Um, Okay. So a lot of ingredients here. When I was going to the Young Conservatory at the American Conservatory Theater, um, I did get to audition for things. And I auditioned for two movies when I was a youngster, uh, which was, you know, not normal. And obviously for a kid wildly exciting. I didn't have an agent. Like this is in my mind, I'm not a professional child. In San actor. Francisco too. You're not in, in LA. S- exactly. Right? In San Francisco. So in my mind, like uh, you, there, there are child actors who do that for a living. I was a student, like I was on the basketball team and I was like going, like I was doing all the school stuff. Um, and then after school, I maybe did like a play. I, did, I was with a production company called 42nd Street Moon, which is a whole other story, but I did a few shows with them. So I, but in my mind, I was always a kid. So I wanna just say that just to show how exciting it was to be told, hey, Darren, you're gonna audition for a movie. It didn't matter what the movie was, like a movie? Wow! You know? So the first one was for a movie that was starring at the time, George Clooney about uh, a father who uh, who dies in some uh, tragic accident and then comes back as like a snowman to a kid called Jack Frost which would eventually uh, star instead Michael Keaton and a young boy by the name of Joseph Cross which would be a joke for the rest of my life because we're like wow they were so close Joseph Cross (laughs) a couple letters like and what's even crazier is Joe cross uh, ended up going to college with my brother years later at Trinity uh, college, which was like a weird thing. And my brother's like, you're Joe cross. You took a part for my brother when he was like, you know, like it, he didn't take the part for me. I probably went out. I was like, it was like a hundred kids. Like who knows? But, um, so that, the reason why I say that is because I obviously didn't get that part. And the second one that kind of came shortly after that was this movie called Max Fisher. I'll never forget it. It was called Max Fisher. And, uh, like I remember reading the material, not really understanding, because it was a very adult mm-hmm. movie, and it was for something that I had never really heard of before, which was an independent movie. Okay, So when it came out, obviously I didn't get the part, but I remember being not super young, but young enough, uh, where I'm starting to kind of get a hold of my own identity, like a young, like a, like a preteen kind of. And uh, I remember going to rent Rushmore because I hadn't seen it. I hadn't been able to see it in the theater. And I was like, I should see this movie. And I forget how old I was. But I remember going, again, back to the pilgrimage where I would go rent movies like all the time. And I remember watching this with my brother or my friends. I forget who I was with. But going, this movie's fucking <laughs> f***ing rad. I, and it was the first time I remember really like – relating to like a subculture or something different like this is different from the stuff that I'm usually watching it's that moment when again when you're finding your identity you find that song you find that band and you really start finding things that are that are that are not fed to you where you start proactively you know deciding for yourself what makes your taste right and um so I thought it was so cool that I had this connection to this movie because or at least I felt I did because I went out for oh they changed the name it's called Rushmore it's named the school it was originally called Max Fisher that was the name of the character and I remember falling in love with the characters and loving Dil Murray who obviously I would have already loved from being Dil Murray um, and everything about it just felt so cool there was a style to it you know before I could articulate that I liked the style and the voice and this is before Wes Anderson is now the preeminent style guy yeah <laughs> the style guy I just really gravitated toward its tone. And uh, I immediately bought that soundtrack, which would be one of the biggest albums of my life. Like that of my top 20 albums, that album was huge to me. I loved, and, and and all of Wes's movies, all of his movies have such good music. Yeah, exactly. And especially at a time where soundtracks really had a lot more cachet than they do now, where they really, you know, soundtracks sold, like they were Mm -hmm. a big uh, uh, part of the DNA of, of a film. And so, between the movie and that soundtrack, it really just like defined a lot of my like younger days um, and kind of my interest in indie movies. And of course, Wes Anderson and Jason Schwartzman, who is the drummer of a band that I would also deeply fall in love with. And with along like up there with Rivers Wainwright would define the way that I experienced, wrote and played music for the rest of my life um because of this movie i checked out this band phantom planet again this is like when i'd have to like find this stuff like mm-hmm. online like uh you you actually couldn't even find stuff i think i had heard somewhere through the word of mouth that he was a drummer and then when i found out the name i like went to a concert when i was 14 15 uh that they were opening for like another band for American hi-fi. Actually. <laughs> I, I know I went to the yeah. great American musical. Oh, nice. Great American the, musical.
1: Eight, yeah. yeah.
2: My, my beginning of my eighth grade or end of seventh grade year, like mm-hmm. God bless my mom for like, let me do that. <laughs> and, uh, and I just fell in love with this band. Um, bought all the records consumed everything. Phantom planet ended up having their own career. Jason left to do his own thing and be, and be more of an actor and writer. And, uh, but for years, Alex Greenwald, who is the lead singer and sort of main songwriter of Phantom Planet, it would be one of the biggest vocal influences to me. When I sing, I'm failing at sounding like Rufus Wainwright and him. If you put that in a cocktail together, that is what I, I'm aiming for.
1: Two things about Rushmore. First of all, this did you ever listen to the band Brand New by chance? Yeah, of course. Okay, so you know the album On Tendu? Do you remember that? Band? I I
2: know their albums. I just remember the 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 so, band brand. Okay, so they What's have the one, one song.
1: So they had a quiet things. No one ever knows. But one of the the first yeah, song, yeah,
2: quiet things. Yeah,
1: the first song on that second album was called Six Transit Gloria Glory Fades," which uh, Max Fisher says to yes. uh, his teacher at one point. So when, you, when you brought up all the music stuff, I was like, okay, all right. dude,
2: I I ended up taking Latin <laughs> in high school because I thought it was so dope. I thought, I thought it was just cool. Like this sort of prep school kind of like, you know, kinks soundtrack, you know, old school education. Like I, it wasn't the only reason I took Latin, but like I ended up doing it for four years and that like yeah. really shaped the way that I look at languages because of sick transit Gloria.
1: <laughs> uh, I love that. Um, and then, so my final question for this is, uh, do you, did you have, what parts of Max, Max Fisher were you in high school?
2: Oh, definitely not. I was like a really nice kid. I, I, um, but I've always, you know, like a lot of nice, you know, you well, know, I mean, you know, all uh, the activities, the, the theater, that, that's yeah. true. That actually is true. I'm actually, I take that back. I mean, I wasn't as like curmudgeon y as, as Max was. <laughs> uh, but I guess every teenager has that angst in them. And I think even good kids, you know, kind of idolize kids that like speak their mind and are really like, renegade and rebellious because every kid has that in them but doesn't necessarily know how to articulate it so people like max you relate to because you relate to renegades because teenagers are renegades and in whatever suppressed or non-suppressed way you can you can manifest so um yeah i was in like every club that's actually totally (laughs) i I that up i was that guy that was a part of everything i I did get not great grades. I was more about the social aspect of like being involved in stuff. I just loved doing theater and being involved with like activities. That was just like my interest. I just had my priorities and uh I would I was so I would notoriously not turn in my homework on time <laughs> because in my mind I was like, well, like I got a bad grade, but like I did it, didn't I? Which is like a horrible really f- up way. Like I don't know how <laughs> When I have kids and like they they want to like turn in homework late, I'm not going to know how to tell them like <laughs> that. That's bad. Like I'm just gonna be like, listen to your mom on this one. I don't know. They're um, going to listen
1: to this podcast years later and say, no, yeah. no, no. You told IMDb yeah. that you did I not do say, your homework. I
2: didn't. I mean, I didn't say it was good. I you know, <laughs> listen, like I, I believe in there are things that are right about playing the game and knowing the rules, right? So, um, I guess the point is, you know, I really, you know, above turning your homework in time or not, I I just prioritized doing fun things with the school I was like in uh student government and uh we had like a really fun like community service thing like I even if I don't know if people will find like pieces of the yearbook when I was at, at, at SI somebody came up to me and was like you were at every club and while I was in a lot of like clubs and I was like truly genuinely active in things I had this joke with my friend that Anytime there'd be an announcement like, okay, uh, 12 o'clock, there will be the yearbook photo for the chess club. We would just show up. Like, <laughs> we would, we would try and get in as many club photos as possible unless they got really mad about it. Cause most of the time it'd be like five people and be like, Hey, do you guys mind if I like pop in? Like, sure. And so by the end of the year, unbeknownst to the other clubs, there I am like in every single club. And people were like, wow, you were really active in high school. I was like, honestly, I was just like, I was just trolling people, man. <laughs> <laughs> Which seems to be another theme throughout our conversation. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I did. That was like a fun like challenge every year is to see how many – yearbook photos you could get into uh, and i forget that as time moves on people think that it's actually you were you were involved but yeah in that regard I mean, the theater thing you know max writing his own stuff yeah and, the serpico and, play and <laughs> the serpico play is so good <laughs> um, yeah. just having like really like uh um i guess sort of counter not counterculture but thinking outside of the box yeah. and, and and uh that's something that i've always tried to do and prided myself on, maybe not to Max Fisher's, Fisher's degree, <laughs> but yeah, doing a lot and, and not taking no for an answer definitely is a big, big uh, part of my life as well.
1: All right. Uh, last question here. So do you see any through line between the three movies that you chose, any themes or anything like that that stands out to you? So again,
2: there's this huge cyclical nature of like me loving stuff, working so hard to where I can get to a point to where I can go back to that stuff and say, thank you for getting me here. It's been like the greatest privilege of my life is being able to have these movies touch me in such a profound way that they that they propelled me in a direction to where I could get to those those heights and like high five them and say, where do we go from here? And that's why I get to be an IMDb today, like the very website that I like (laughs) spent hours on just to know what was
1: going on fantastic Hollywood out now on Netflix make sure you watch it uh, if you love old Hollywood if you want to see Hollywood get the Hollywood treatment uh, as Darren lovingly puts it make sure you check that out and make sure you go to Quibi to check out uh, royalties out now there's be music videos uh, there's there's uh, Rufus Wainwright, Mark Hamill, among other people who are involved in the project. So it's it's I've had a lot of fun watching it. Sure you guys, cool. oh, I I can't wait for you to
2: see the rest of it because there's a lot of the stuff that we
1: were talking about shows
2: up in, in a lot of the episodes, or at least with the guest stars. As far as people that I've always admired coming back to in my life, you know, and getting to work with them. So uh,
1: thanks for listening, guys thanks again for listening. If you want more information about Darren or if you'd like to add his picks to your IMDb watch list, head over to imdb.com podcasts.